This is Brett Martin of the Texas Rangers, and you're listening to the Rangers Nation podcast. This is Elvis Andrew of the Texas Ranger, and you're listening to the Rangers Nation podcast. Welcome to Rangers Nation podcast, talking all things Texas Rangers. Rangers Nation podcast is a part of Dallas Sports Nation, providing coverage of all your DFW sports teams. Now, here's your host, Texas Rangers blogger, the Recliner Nerd. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rangers Nation's podcast. I am your host, the Recliner Nerd, John Moore. Today's episode is Jeff Fry. Jeff Fry, former Texas Ranger Jeff Fry, who played a total of uh, nine years in the big leagues with uh, the Texas Rangers, the Boston Red Sox, the Colorado Rockies, and the Toronto Blue Jays is joining us. Uh, we're going to talk uh, all about Jeff growing up. We're going to talk about the current state of the Rangers. We're going to talk about the offseason moves made and what he thinks about today's game and, of course, the Houston Astros. And we're going to do all of that right after this. Hey, this is Ricky Venasco with the Texas Rangers, and you're listening to the Rangers Nation podcast. Hey, this is Brock Burke of the Texas Rangers. You're listening to the Rangers Nation podcast and the Recliner Nerd. All right, everybody, and welcome back to Rangers Nation's podcast. This is the Recliner Nerd, John Moore, and today is a special, special one. we got a special guest with on us, uh, Jeff Rye from the Texas Rangers. You guys know him. Uh, we're going to welcome him onto the show. He's a former Texas Ranger. Former Boston Red Sox, former Colorado Rocky, and former Toronto Blue Jay. He played a total of close to nine years in the big leagues and retired now. He's in the DFW area. He's been on Fox Sports Southwest as an analyst. Please welcome everybody, Jeff Fry. Hey, Jeff. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Jeff. Thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Ah, uh, you bet. So, obviously, what we want to do, we do want to talk some baseballs, the Astros, and a few other things. But first, I want to talk about you and uh, – and uh, you were always one of my favorite players. You're about my age, actually. You're a little bit older than me. We've actually run into each other a couple times. So uh, it was awesome to, to get you to come on here. Um, we've actually run into each other a few times. That uh, Your son played with, do you remember Gray Woodard? With the, oh, yeah. Yeah, so Gray, yeah. Gray, Gray's my cousin. Uh, he's my uh, cousin's son. So I remember out there at the Paschal Games and your son, we sat down. I think we've talked at the Colonial a couple times. But always one of my favorite players. A, a total of, was it? Nine, close to nine, right? You were in the big leagues? Uh, technically, it was uh, nine years and 15 days, to nine, be exact. Nine years <laughs> and 15 days. All right, man. Hey, so tell me, where, where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born in Oakland, California um, in 1966, and I grew up uh, in Hayward, California, the Bay Area. Um, moved back to... Uh, Oklahoma when I was a junior in high school when I was 16 and I've lived in Texas for oh well, since I got called up with the Rangers in 92. So did you play any other sports besides baseball? Yeah I played uh, football basketball and baseball and actually went to junior college on a basketball scholarship. No kidding is this where you played your baseball too at that college or? Yeah yeah I had I had a uh, basketball only scholarship to go to Eastern Oklahoma Junior College in Wilberton, Oklahoma. And uh, I was going to walk on in baseball. And that summer, playing for Spyro American Legion, I had, uh, the local uh, junior college baseball coach, Mark Pollard, came out. And we had a few guys on our team that were going to his, to his junior college. And uh, that summer, um, over a two-day stretch, I got 15 hits in a row without making it out. And uh, 
he said he asked some of my teammates about me and uh, he offered me a baseball and basketball scholarship to go to Carl Albert. Now, so I know the Rangers took you in. Did you have some kind of tryout that you had to do that? Or did scouts come to your game regularly? It seems like I remember we were at the Colonial one time, and you were sitting up there. We were kind of talking, having you were talking to somebody else. I was just kind of in your little group there. Uh, there was some trial. Yeah we, yeah, we didn't have many scouts coming to our games at uh, at Southeastern. We actually had, you know, Southeastern Oklahoma State was the NAI school in Durant, right. Oklahoma. That was a you know really good, great program over the years. You know, they won some national championships and stuff, and. So that's where I ended up going to school. And after my senior year, one of my teammates, Benny Calvert, was pretty sure he was a junior, two-time All-American. He was pretty sure he was going to get drafted. So he got an invitation to a Rangers tryout camp and didn't want to go. Um, so I asked him if I could have his invitation. So he gave it to me, and I told my coach, uh, Mike Matheny, that I'm going to a Rangers tryout camp in Midwest City, Oklahoma. And so he called Doug Gassaway, longtime scout, passed away I think last year, um, and told Doug that I was going to come instead of Benny and that I was the type of player that uh, wouldn't stand out at a tryout camp, that you'd kind of have to see me play over time to appreciate me. And so I, there I go, drive up to Midwest City, Oklahoma, it's up in the Oklahoma City area and Midwest City High School and a typical tryout camp, you go in there, the first thing you do is you run a 60-yard dash, a couple of them, and I you know, wasn't super fast. I think I'd probably run a 6'7 or 6'8 or something like that. And then uh, take some ground balls and then you get in the cage and take some batting practice. Well, it just so happens wow. that I, I faced a guy that I had faced in junior college. And uh, so I get in there and face him and, you know, he's trying to impress too. He's, you know, like the guys in trial camp, man, he's overthrowing. And I get in there and I really didn't like this guy playing against him and I just teed off on him. Oh, and wow. uh, it Hit a home run, hit a bunch of line drives, and and uh, got out of the cage. And he, you know, these scouts had never seen me play one game ever. And now they're saying, "All right, next time you get in the cage against this other guy, we want you to use a wooden bat." And they're like changing my stance and my hands and everything. And so I get back in the cage with a wooden bat, and I'd never really used a wooden bat. Yeah, I mean, we didn't back in those days. You didn't practice with wooden bat. No, I'm your there age. Were wood yeah. bat tournament. <laughs> You know, there were wood bat. The only wood bat I can ever remember using was a, a giveaway bat from the Giants game. That's crazy. I think it was Rico. I think it was, uh, you know, Rico Cardi or something. I, had, I remember I had a bat, and my cousin and I would play out in the yard with our wooden bat. But other than that, I never really used one. So that, that's so funny because I did that guy. with a Ranger bat. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm facing some guy I've never faced with a wooden bat. You know, within my new stance. Yeah. So I get in there, first pitch I take, because I was kind of uncomfortable with my my new hand position, and the first pitch I freaking hit a home run. No kidding. Over the fence and hit the second fence, which was about 30 feet behind it, almost went in the parking lot. And I hit a bunch of line drives off this guy. And now now people are starting to gather. The other players and stuff are starting to gather around the cage. and So it's obvious that I'm... I'm Uh-oh. Hang on, guys. I think we lost him here just a second. We're going to get him back on the phone. So uh, hang on just a sec. Okay. Fun technology here we got. Hey. You're there. Something happened. Hey, this oh, is... <laughs> 
I'm back. He's back. What was the last thing you heard? <laughs> uh, you were you were back in the cage. People started to gather around. Now you hit that first home run that went over the fence with the wooden bat with your new stance, and uh, and so you, that's about where you were. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, so no, no. now they bring they bring in this other guy, Mike Converse. He's six ten. He had just been released from the Reds uh, minor leagues, and so he comes in there. I mean, that's pretty tall for a pitcher, and this guy's throwing really hard. And I took him deep too, and wow. hit some line drives off of him. And now everybody's noticing. I mean, the players that were trying out were coming up and patting me on the back. Guys, I didn't even know. Wow. You know, so I'm like, man, this is a pretty incredible day. You know, this is like <laughs> one of the best days of my life. And uh, so now the Rangers guys are talking to me and saying, hey, great job. You know, they're, they're trying to get to know me. We want to invite you to our next tryout camp, which will be held in Arneson Stadium in two weeks. So now, you know, I'm excited and Wow. Yeah, this is the big one. This is the big one. Right. Um, so, go home, back to Southeastern, you know, didn't do much. Uh, happened to go out on Lake Texoma, water skiing with some friends and my cousin. And and uh, I'm trying to get up on a ski. And uh, the rope snaps out of my hand, my hand in the ski. And I fall down. I look at my hand, and my hand's just bloody pouring blood out of my finger. Yeah, this is the story I remember, right. Yeah, so now I got to you know, hurry up and go to the emergency room. I go to the emergency room, my middle finger on my left hand, the, on the tip of it, it's just busted wide open, and my ring finger is uh, busted open too. So I, this doctor put some stitches. He actually put five stitches through my ring finger, the tip of my finger, and my nail. Um, the middle finger, they just put some glue or something like that. Right. And I said, well, man, I got a trial camp in a week. He goes, yeah, you're not going to be able to go to that. I'm like, okay. So he leaves the room. I feel bad about this part. Uh, but, uh, I went through his drawer and I stole a couple of rubber gloves and some gauze pads, put them in my pocket and left. <laughs> um, it's so called I'm determination. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm panicked. You know, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do. I can't swing a bat at all. I can't even grip a bat. So I can't even work out before the trial camp. So come down to Arlington. I really don't even remember how I got here. Um, but before I go in, I, I put these gauze pads around my finger and then a rubber glove over that and then my batting glove on. And I never took my batting glove off. Um, we go out there, you know, I don't know how many players are there, probably 20 or 30, and we go run and take ground balls and just taking ground balls is killing me every time I caught a ball. Right. It was my glove hand. But I didn't want to say anything, so I uh, I didn't say anything. It was just really hurting bad. Now it's my turn to hit. I get in the cage, and first swing I take, the bat flies out of my hands. It hits the top of the cage. So I pick it up like nothing. You know, like it's no big deal, and I try to hit. Yeah, they just could a tell. slip rip or something, yeah. Yeah, they could tell that. I wasn't swinging the bat like I did in Midwest City. So they called me out, and they're like, are you all right? And I said, man, I hurt my my hand the other day. And they're like, really? Let's see. Take it off. So I got to take off my my uh, batting glove. And there's, then they see I have a rubber glove on. I take that off. It's wrapped up with gauze, and I pull that off. And it's, you know, you can see the dried up blood and stuff where the stitches are. And um, they're like, man, how'd you do that? So I have to tell them what happened. I was water skiing. They said, well, you obviously want to play pretty bad. They said, why don't you go home and get your hand ready? We're going to draft you. Wow. 
So head back to Southeastern, and I don't really remember how long after the trial camp the draft was, probably a couple of weeks. And Well, you're actually yeah, coming into my, my next question was, how did you find out you were drafted? So this is great. Well, we didn't even have a phone in our apartment. We lived in uh, government housing in Southeastern. We called it the Garbage Villa. It was the Garden Villa. And we didn't have a phone. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have anything. And all of a sudden, oh, yeah. I guess it's, you know, the draft always starts on like a Tuesday, I think it is. And so all of a sudden we get a knock on the door. And it's our coach, Coach Matheny, walks in and says, Fry, you just got drafted by the Texas Rangers in the 30th round. Congratulations. Do you so, remember your signing bonus? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember I remember the fact that Doug Gassaway didn't want to drive from Dallas to Duran. It's about two hours to sign me. So he sent a scout named Jimmy Dreyer. He didn't want to go all the way two hours to sign a 30th round draft pick. So Jimmy Dreyer shows up. And, uh, you know, we, we meet at, at the college and go in Coach Matheny's office. And, you know, I sign my contract. And he goes, did they tell you about your bonus? And I said, no. He goes, well, you get $2,000 for signing. I was like, sweet. Yeah, I'd that was awesome. my contract. <laughs> I didn't even, there was no negotiation. I was ready for, you know, I was going no matter what. So, uh, hey, yeah, 2000 bucks. Where did you? Where was your first report? Where did you go play first as a pro? Uh, Butte, Montana. Butte, Montana was, I guess that was rookie league or rookie ball. Now it's up in Spokane or the, in Arizona has the little league. But is that kind of the comparable, maybe Spokane? Yeah, it was uh, the Pioneer League is what it was called. There were teams in like Butte, Idaho Falls, Pocatello, Billings, one in uh, Salt Lake City. I think there were eight teams in the league. All right, and so that's coming. I mean, and that's and, and I can remember, so let me, um, I, I kind of do this pod, and I do have media credentials and stuff, but I do this as a, as, as from a fan perspective. But Jeff, when Jeff was coming up, back then, um, it wasn't huge following prospects back then. That wasn't a big deal, but I kind of did just because the Rangers always sucked enough. You were always trying to figure out who was coming up the pipe, and you were a name that was consistently being mentioned. And so the only way we could really follow you was like through, uh, you know, uh, the little baseball weekly or something like that. You can go get, you could get the, the publication and see box store scores and stuff like that. Plus when the, when you made your major league, so tell me about that, your major league debut, where was it? Do you remember the game? Obviously, when was it? And tell us when about that. Yeah, that was a cool deal. I, um, we were, in, I was in Louisville. I was in triple a and playing for Oklahoma city, 89ers. We're in Louisville. And my roommate at the time was Bobby Brower. I remember him, and Bobby Brower played in the big leagues for four or five years and just a super nice guy. And back then we, you know, we had roommates right. <laughs> in, the, in the hotels right. in the minor league. So, um, it was typical for us to sleep till about noon and get up and eat. You know, we didn't have enough money because our meal money was, I think at that time about 15 bucks a day or 17 bucks a day. So you couldn't eat three times a day. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> you had to conserve your money. So we would sleep in till lunch go eat a lunch, and then head to the field. And they fed um, you at the – did they usually feed you at the game, I guess, a, a pre-meal or something? Yeah, we had a spread after the game. Some of those were really, really bad. but uh, It was food. Um, it was free. <laughs> it was food, yeah, yeah. It wasn't free. We had to pay clubhouse dues. They were a lot, but we did have to pay. But uh, So it was typical for us to sleep in and, and, you know, a lot of times take our phone off the hook so we wouldn't be disturbed and stuff and – whatever reason we left the phone on the hook and the phone rings at like nine in the morning and which was unusual. Yeah. Um, and I, so I pick up the phone, it's closest to me and, uh, it's Tommy Thompson, our manager. And I had made the tr- all triple a all-star game 
and uh, I think that was coming up in a couple of weeks. And Tommy was a character, and he goes, uh, he called him the general. Yeah. And he used to always say, we're going to war, we're going to war. And, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, Tommy calls my room, and, and uh, I said, hello, and he goes, you're not going to the AAA All-Star game. And I said, I'm not. He goes, nope. He goes, you're going to another level, big boy. He goes, come up to my room. And I didn't say a word. I'm just looking at my roommate across the room, not saying a word. And he looks at me. He goes, you're going to the big leagues. And he goes, and you're not coming back either. So That's it was awesome. really, I mean, it was really cool. So I go up to Tommy's room. He gives me all the details. I got to I gotta get a taxi ride to the stadium to get all my stuff. And then head to the airport, and they they also called up Brian Bohannon the same day. I remember bro, so the left handed pitcher to go up with. Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. And uh, so head, you know, flying to Dallas. Um, <laughs> Excuse me. Land at five o'clock. We have a game at seven o five, and uh, there's a car out there waiting for us to get our bags and stuff. And on the way to the field, they inform me that Bobby Valentine just got fired that day, and that uh, oh my gosh, his Is last that official right? act. Yeah, his last official act as a manager was to call call up me and uh, Brian Bohannon. And I was like, man, he didn't get fired because he called us up, did he? You know? <laughs> so anyway, so I show, I show up at the stadium at 5.30, walk in, see Joe Macko. I remember, you know, I had gone to big league camp that year. My first big league camp, so I knew Joe and, and some of the guys. And walk in, go to my locker. They say, go check out the lineup. I walk over the lineup. I look at the lineup. I'm leading off playing second and Nolan Ryan's pitching for us. Oh my gosh. I'm like, man, right into the fire. You know, my first day I just got here. <laughs> They're like, Hey, uh, do you want to go out and try and hurry up and, uh, get some BP in? It's five thirty. BP's over at six. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I, man, I, yeah. yeah they, y'all do it. Uh, BP's early. It's about four usually, or you get a little at four thirty. Well, now. it just depends. The visiting team will usually hit, um, <clears throat> Like four thirty to five fifteen, and then the home team way at five fifteen to six, and then at six ten you take infield. So, right. I said, you want to hurry up and go out there? And I was like, man, I, I need to unpack my stuff, and I didn't have my uniform and all this stuff. I was like, nah, I'm not gonna hit, but I'll get out there for infield. So I go out and take infield, and yeah, you know, I was nervous, but I didn't have much time to think about it. Um, so go right into the game, you know, take the field at second base, and don't you know they're playing. You got to have an ace in the hole. Um, George Strait song. It's like, man, here I am in the big leagues. And, Who are y'all playing? Um, it was exciting, man. I went, I went to my first at bat. I walked on four pitches, which was pretty cool because I was shaking so much. I don't know if I could have swung. And uh, I get to first base, and and the first guy, I, I think it was Jack Doherty, hit a ground ball to shortstop. We're playing the Indians, and okay. uh, it's a ground ball to short, double play ball. And I knocked down Carlos Lair. I took him out at second base. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Went back to dugout. Everybody's high-fiving me, all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah. But I didn't know by, what by doing that was going to happen after that. So now, <laughs> now um, I'm in the field, and there's a double play situation. And Mark Witten was at first base, and he was a big, fast guy. Oh, and, yeah. Um, ground ball to short. I think it was Dickie Thon throws it to me and I go to turn it and this dude slides about one foot from second base. So I, I one hop it to second to first and turn a double play. Um, couple innings later, Albert Bell is on first base. Oh my God. And another double play ball. 
I think it was Dickie throwing again to short. Um, he throws it to me, and I go to throw it, and he never slides. He just runs you over? He runs. He runs completely through the base. So I threw it over the top of him um, and got out of the way. He didn't get me. But Palmero, uh, it was a high throw to first, and Palmero tried to stay on the bag, and the ball tipped off the top of his glove and friggin' went and dug out, and I got an air. So I was so <laughs> mad about that. But I ended up having uh, my first official at bat. I had a sinking line drive to left. Albert Bell tried to slide, make a sliding catch, and it got past him, so I got a triple. Holy cow. Um, <laughs> but I ended up going two for three with a single, a triple, three-run score, sack fly, and RBI. Player of the game. So Valentine looks like a like a genius now. And so maybe who I forget who was the interim who took over? Uh, Toby Hara. Toby Hara. Okay, because Kennedy came in the next year. Or? Yeah, yeah. Toby finished out the year, then they brought in Kevin Kennedy. Because Kennedy opened the new stadium, right? Um. Yes. Yes. yes he did. What now? Did, now was that the was the next year the year that that the. They went into the new stadium, or did you play one year with Kennedy at the old stadium? I didn't play with him at the old stadium because in nine in the off season at ninety two, I tore my ACL. Yeah, you got hurt. And That's right. I Kennedy, remember this. Yep, Kennedy took over the next year, so I was on the DL the whole year with the torn ACL. That's right. Okay, I remember that now. Okay, because you did that also in Boston. You had a year you were. I actually went up. Yes, to, I did. I went up to Boston one year and uh, to catch the Rangers playing in Boston. And uh, and me and uh, I have an uncle that's a few years older than me. So we're kind of like brothers, and we would make these trips. And we went up there, and uh, one of the kids that was a huge Red Sox fan was like, "Hey, that's Jeff Fry." And you were you had a kid on your shoulders and a brace on your knee. I remember that sitting out there <laughs> where the where the players go in and out. So, okay, so. Um, so you do your mate now on your major league debut? Did you have time to call family? Did anybody get up there to see the game? Or oh no, no, you had no, no you had no chance. I mean, I called them, but they didn't have a chance to make it. Okay, so did did they finally get up to to see in a, a day later or so? Yeah, I don't really remember exactly when they came, but it's you know it was about a five hour drive from Oklahoma where I grew up to Arlington. They came. I, I'm pretty sure they came up during that first homestand. Yeah, my aunt and uncle. Well, you're look. You're living a dream that 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 a lot of us wished that we could live. So it's it's completely cool. And I mean, for someone like me, it, I, I was kind of your stature. I wasn't the biggest guy. I was about five nine. I probably weighed about one hundred and fifty pounds in high school and all of that. So you see a, a little bit smaller guy playing major league baseball. Um, obviously, I didn't have talent. <laughs> that that was one overriding <laughs> fact. Was the I didn't one have, missing trait? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't have the talent to do it, but um, now you and Kennedy became friends, and, and y'all became pretty close, right? Now, I remember, here's a story I remember uh, that you're because that was the strike year that y'all went on strike, and uh, there was a someone I was dating at the time, and we went to Cowboys uh, like right day or two after the strike, and you guys were there. I think it might have been Tim McGraw or somebody was playing out there, um, and you stopped talking to us for a little bit, and and, uh, and but that was the strike year, uh, that, that the, the the first year of the ballpark. I don't know if people remember that or not, but um, do, you, do you and Kevin stay in touch? What is he doing now? I, didn't, I see him on TV, I guess, every once in a while. He's doing some type of podcast or something. I looked him up the other day on Twitter, actually. It's funny, like two days ago, I, I followed him on Twitter, and he followed me back. Yeah, we have, I mean, we have kind of a funny, funny history because, you know, I got called up. Well, I missed all of 93. So I started, I went to spring training in 94 when Kevin was there. Right. And they really had a good spring training. 
but uh, haven't missed the whole year before. And, and, and Doug Strange really played well yep. when I was gone. So right. he was the second baseman, so I had to go to AAA to start the year. Right. And uh, finally got called back up. I don't know at what point. Um, it, but hit really well. Hit 327 that year and like 200 at bats. And, you know, really did good. And, you know, then we had the strike that ends the season. Then uh, 95, I think it is, they bring in Johnny Oates. Yep. In Kevin's place. Um, Kevin ends up going to Boston. And you end up, and, yeah. And Johnny Johnny didn't like me. Yeah. He, you know, he brought over Macklemore from Baltimore. Oh, that was his guy, yeah. That was his guy, and, you know, he would just find ways to not put me in the lineup. Even though I was hitting higher than Mac, he found ways to put Mac in there. I mean, and Mac is a good player. I've not, you know, yeah, right. I have no qualms with that, but he just didn't like me for whatever reason. So, '96, I start the year. Um, they didn't offer me arbitration, so I became a free agent. Went to camp with the Tigers. Buddy Bell was there. Terry Francona, Perry Hill, um, and. They had to, I had a clause in my contract where they had to put me on the roster by a certain date. And at that date, when that date arrived, I went and talked to Buddy. And he goes, man, we're not ready to do it yet, but we don't want you to leave. I was like, I got to leave, man. So I left. And I really didn't have many opportunities. I could have went and played for the Mariners in AAA or come back to the Rangers. Right. So I go back to Oklahoma City. And there's no way Johnny Oates is going to call me up. Right. There's no way. Um, he was calling up guys like Lou Frazier. Renee Gonzalez and you know when they needed an infielder I was like man he's not calling me up so kind of you know just withering away in in AAA not really playing that good and um, all of a sudden um, I get a phone call from uh, Billy Martin Jr. who was an agent not my agent but a friend of mine and an agent he was Kevin Kennedy's agent right and the Red Sox were scuffling at second base and had some injuries and Billy told Kevin, he says, hey, the guy you need is in Oklahoma City right now, Jeff Fry. So Kennedy inquires about me through the Rangers. And uh, I just pulled my quad like two days before playing center field. And it was hurt pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't play for a couple of days. So my agent calls me and says, hey, are you all right? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, what's up? And he goes, well, Red Sox want to trade for you or acquire you. Um, but they, they noticed you haven't played in a couple of days. And I said, no, nah, I'm fine. I didn't tell them anything. Right. And, uh, so the Rangers had a choice. They could have called me up or, uh, basically released me. And then the Red Sox would sign me. Um, <clears throat> so the Rangers decided not to call me up. I show up in Boston, walk in Kevin's office and he goes, uh, you all right? How come you haven't played in a couple of days? And I said, well, you want me to BS you or tell you the truth? <laughs> he goes, the truth? I said, I pulled my quad like three days ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, he goes, well, I mean, what what percent are you, you think? And I said, honestly, probably like 60%. It was, I mean, I had a hole in my quad. And I said, uh, I'm probably 60%. I said, but I'll tape it up as tight as I can and give you what I got. And he goes, well, 60% of, of you is better than what we've got right now. So you're in there tonight. Yeah. So I, it was like two months into the season, and I got like almost 500 plate appearances the rest of the year. Wow! And hit two, hit 286, and like <sighs> you know stole 18 or 19 bases, and we made a run. 
and almost got almost made the wild card. And uh, you know, then I signed the next year there, and you know, it was because Kevin gave me the opportunity. And one of the side note, cool thing about what happened in Boston was I was a big hit and run guy. That was my bread and butter. And yeah. I told Kevin that I said, "Man, any chance you have with me hitting to put on a hit and run, I want it every time." Because yeah. I was trying to hit ground balls. Right. So if I, I got a runner on first, first and second, man, it's a double play situation every time I come up. So I knew I could make contact. So having the runners move was a huge advantage for me. And I said, what do you think about letting me put my own hit and run sign on? And he kind of you know, looked at me funny. I said, nah, I won't mess it up. So he allowed me to do it. So I met with um, the guys that I hit around in the order, basically like Darren Bragg and yeah. Darren Lewis and Mike Benjamin. And I said, hey, when I'm hitting and you're at first, look at me. If I grab my cup, that's a hit and run on that pitch. So they, I said, but let me know. Go to the top of your helmet. Let me know you have the sign. So I probably did it successfully about 30 times that season. Oh, my gosh. That's great. I mean, but, and honestly, I hate, and I'm not bragging about this, but I don't, I've never heard another player who was allowed to put on his own hit and run. I'm sure it's happened, but I've never met anybody that did it. It's pretty pretty awesome that he had that much trust in me to let me do that. Well, you know, we'll have a question. I have a few fan questions, and one of them kind of is similar to what you're talking about that that, that I want your take on. We'll get to that a little bit later. I'm going through a, an, an, a thing here, but, you know, I do have a – uh, you know what? I want to ask you about this. I went to Fenway for that one series I was at, and like I said, so tell me about playing at Fenway. What are those fans like? What is that? Just the the aura of that that place and all of that. What is it like there as a as a player? The fans just are kind of nuts. Yeah, it was so cool, man. I, I, it was my favorite place to play, and it was. I mean, there's just pressure. There's a buzz when we're playing the Yankees, and you walk out into the dugout. There's just this electricity. You can just feel it. You know, there's people fighting in the stands and yelling at you. And oh, just, yeah. I mean, I just loved it. I loved it. And, and, you know, playing in tech, the way I'd like to describe to people is, you know, nothing against the Rangers, but this is a football town. Right. You know, they love their Cowboys, and, you know, they've had a lot more success than the Rangers. Right. So the way I describe mm. it is on a Sunday afternoon, if we're losing 10-1 to 1 <clears throat> and the crowd goes nuts, it's because the Cowboys scored a touchdown. Right. We're more concerned about that than us. In Boston, if we lose a game, half the people are going to work pissed off, pissed yep. off the next day. Yep. And that's just life or death up there. And but I loved, it. I loved the excitement and the pressure up there. So okay, so we've got a fan question. This is a this is from Joel Poole who sent me this, and he he wanted to talk about the cycle you hit. And listen, in Toronto, it was your last year playing, you hit the cycle. I've seen the video of you talking about that cycle. I remember watching the video of it too. And your fourth hit is the funniest story about it. And you and Kelly Gruber are the, are the only ones who have the have the cycle there. But just tell us what you said in that video. Talk about the cycle that day and how it went. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was really cool. It was. Uh, we're playing the Rangers, and Darren our Oliver. team was pretty bad. Yeah, our team was pretty bad that year in Toronto. I mean, I think we were eighty-two and eighty, but we were never really, you know, a threat to make the playoffs or anything. So we had a, a first-year manager, Buck Martinez, and a lot of young guys. And um, well, I didn't play. I didn't play regularly. I hurt my knee that spring training, like the first week. I tore something in my knee. Yeah. So I was. I, you know, I came to the season into Toronto. I missed the very first part of the season, but Homer Bush hurt his thumb. They called me up. I got four games. 
in the Florida State League. That was my spring training. Now I'm in the big leagues. Um, so that day, I show up to the field not thinking I was playing. Um, knew Darren was pitching. I looked at the lineup, and I'm hitting nine holes against Darren. And Darren, Darren was uh, um, a good friend of mine. We came up through the minor leagues together. We were teammates with the Rangers. And you were his you agent know, too. Good, yeah, I was after that. Yep, good friends, and so I just happened to be facing Darren, and I faced him a few times. And uh, my first at bat, I hit a fly ball down the right field line, kind of out front. My knee was killing me, so I couldn't put any weight on my on my back leg with my right knee. So I was I was always lunging and, and uh, out front of everything, and so I hit a, a fly ball down the right field line that going to fall in but Ricky Lede got too close to it and a turf it bounced over his head and I got a triple well next at bat they hit a line drive to right center and Ricky Lede comes in to catch it and it goes over his head for a double <laughs> so now I'm two to two off my buddy you know with a double and a triple and now they bring in uh, Pat Mahomes and Pat Mahomes I'd played with a little bit in AAA and, and played against him and uh, throws me a slider I hit a home paint scraper right down the left field line, barely got over the fence, barely stayed fair. And now I'm three for three with a, a double, triple, and a homer. And so I, in the dugout, um, I go up to Cito Gaston, who's our hitting coach at the time, and I had a lot of respect for. And I said, Cito, what do I do my next at bat if I hit one in the corner or in the gap? And he says, stop it first and tell him I told you to. And I said, are you sure? He goes, absolutely. I mean, we're winning by eight or nine runs. Oh, yeah. And so it's the eighth inning, bottom of the eighth. They bring in this kid, Kevin Foster. And, uh, man, I'm so nervous going up to the plate. You know, this is really a meaningless game. Rangers are in the race. We're not in the race. Yeah. And uh, I think I get a 2-1 count. You know, over the course of my career, I, I think I had 600 and, some, 600 and something hits in the big leagues and probably 480 of them were singles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. You were a singles hit. guy. Yeah. 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 You've... Yeah. Singles and doubles. That's all I hit. And yeah. so um, I hit a line drive over Michael Young's head that on the turf goes all the way to the sinking hole. So now I'm making a huge turn around first, yelling at the first base coach, Garth Orts, What do I do? What do I do? And he says, Stay here. Stay here. You can see so him out turn. <laughs> yeah. I take a huge turn and uh, go back to first. Oh, man. Standing ovation. The crowd goes crazy. I had no idea that Kelly Gruber had, you know, there was only one cycle in the history of the Blue Jays organization. I mean, the and great teams they had over the years, you oh, know, yeah. and he's there. crazy. Yeah, and he's there. Yeah, and he's, <laughs> he's in town at an autograph show, and he had, they called him up, supposedly, during the game. He said, hey, you might want to come over to the stadium. And they explained to him what's going on, and sure enough, you know, he gets in the dugout, and I had no idea he was in the dugout. He comes walking on the field, smacks me in the head, you know, I said, of all people to break, you know, <laughs> you probably wouldn't have bet it. I would be the guy just for the cycle. And so it was cool. It was, uh, you know, oh, one man. negative that, that came out of that was I actually caught a lot of flack for stopping at first. You know what? I've thought about this. To... Look, I played ball. I know a lot of people that I would have done it. I would have, look, in a meaningless game in that part, especially if I was, you know, if you were a power hitter and a, and a gap hitter and, and, and all of that, I mean, the chances are, probably with your, uh, with percentages of you, the chances are more than likely, like you said, up to 70% of the time it was going to be a single anyway. You were going to hit a good line drive single or whatever. I would have done it in a heartbeat and never even thought twice about it. 
I mean, that's just. Yeah, I mean, especially when I have my coach's blessing anyway. And, yeah, um, exactly. You know, so I, but I felt bad about it, honestly. And so the next day, um, I went over to the Rangers dugout. This is like during BP, and Jerry Nair was over there. He was the manager. Um, and I think he was talking to Eric Nadell and maybe John Blake or something like that. Yeah. And uh, so I walked all the way over to their dugout, walked right up to Jerry Nair, stuck my hand out, shook his hand. I said, I want to apologize to you for stopping at first. And, um, yeah, I didn't have to do that. And I was so disappointed in his response. And he just looked at me and goes, just play the game. Just play the game. I was like, okay. And I said, congratulations on being manager. I walked away. And the more I thought about it, the madder I got. I'm like, yeah. you know, I didn't have to go say anything to him. He's yeah. not my manager anymore. Right. Now, exactly. He was a bench coach when, when, when I played for the Rangers, when, when Johnny Oates was there. And so we always had a good relationship, but I was disappointed in that. And actually did a radio show, I think on ESPN or something not long after that. And I said, you know what? I said, CEO Gaffin's won two world series four uh, pennants as yep. manager. And he told me to do that and nothing against Jerry Naren, but you know, I'm going to go with what Cito told me to do. So, yep. I, I, I wouldn't have blamed you. I, I have no issue with it. I think that's that's actually – look, you got no problems with me over that. I, I don't have an issue with it at all, especially in a, in a situation to do something like that. And, you know, at the time, like you said, you didn't even realize it was going to be only the second one in history and that the guy was there. You didn't know. I mean, you, you're ta- you, I know you're aware of it because you're asking Cito in the first place, hey, what do I do if mm-hmm. I gap one or something and, you know, just want to fill it out, you know, should I just – because, look, it's still a wonderful game if you double, right? Because then you're four for four. You got two doubles, a triple, and a home run. Um, you know, it's still a, a great game. It's actually better as far as numbers go and slugging percentage goes for the for your uh, career numbers. But, man, being hitting for the cycle is cool. That's a neat thing. Yeah, nobody, nobody would have talked about it, though. Nope. Two doubles, a triple, and a homer. Nobody remembers those games. They sure don't. <laughs> you know? yeah. Hey, so what are you doing now? Yeah. I know. Are you still in there? Are you an agent? Yes, sir. You yes, are sir. an agent. Any clients we know? I know at one time, were you, were you Kinsler's agent? or? Yeah, I was. A uh, bunch of guys over the years. Uh, Kinsler, Darren Oliver, Mark Lowe, um, Sean Kelly, Joey Butler, short time in the big leagues. A uh, right. bunch of guys over the years. And you're doing, are you doing some stuff with Fox Sports Southwest? You know, I did it last year. Two years ago, I did a... Uh, 17 shows for Fox Sports, and then thought I was going to do it again, and they brought in Steve Bouchelle, so I don't know what's going on <laughs> for this year. But I did a few uh, Rough Riders games also, as a uh, like the color guy with uh, Jared Sandler. Oh, with Jared, yeah. Frisco. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, not with uh, uh, Ryan Rulliard is the one that's their normal play-by-play guy. But, yeah, I know Jared went out there and did a few games. So let me ask this. Yeah, yeah. So we got another. Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna transition now more into today's game and what's going on. And I've got a question from Lyle Morrison who wants to know. He wants to know what you think about the current game and and the high strikeout rates and selling out for home runs. Man, I don't like it at all. I think it's boring. Um, you know, I just it wasn't your I don't game. really understand. No, no. I mean, I don't understand it. I don't understand. You know, a lot of these. Uh, guys not making adjustments and you know there's three guys on the right side of second base why these guys continue to try and pull the ball and you know when i heard suggested that uh they're going to outlaw the shift i laughed i'm like really so we're going to reward these guys 
for not being able to adjust or being too stubborn to make an adjustment and hit the ball the other way. We're going to just say you're not allowed to go over there and play. That just makes no sense to me. Exactly. And that's actually a question coming up here in a little bit, but we'll get to that then. But uh, no, yeah. So you, I I kind of thought, especially you, you were, you didn't strike out a ton. Um, You were, you know, you put the ball in play, you put a barrel on it. And I've, I've said this, I've coached my kids. You probably coached your boy when, when he was younger. Well, if you weren't playing, uh, but and I've always said, look, you know, don't be afraid to swing the bat. And if you put a barrel on it, things happen when you put it in play, no matter yep. what. I mean, striking out, don't be afraid. You can strike out. It's no big deal. But if you put it in play, there's a better chance of something happening good um, if you at least put it in play. So, you know, that that's better than, than anything. So just put the ball in play and mistakes can happen. So I figured that's yep. kind of where you would go with this. Yeah. I mean, I, didn't, I wasn't a home run hitter, obviously, but – I just don't understand these guys uh, swinging, you know, with two strikes like it's no strikes. And I, I'm, I think a lot of it has to do with this, with the, the new wave of the, the saber attritions and stuff, where they say, "Well, you, you're, you know, there's probably some type of stat that says, um, you know, just keep your normal swing and don't change it, and just, you know, you might hit." A, hit a home run with two strikes, you got a better chance. It's odds if you put the ball in play and hit a weak ground ball, you're going to be out anyway. Don't I'm sure it. there's some stats that yeah. say that, and guys buy into it. But, I mean, I don't like it. I don't think it's exciting for the fans to watch guys, you know, strike out 17, 18 times in a game. And right. It's boring. Yeah, and you know what? And that that's what's what's funny. And you, you and I, like I said, you were born one year before me. We grew up kind of in the same era of playing ball. I guarantee you when you grew up, I was taught this, when you get two strikes, you choke up on the bat and shorten your swing, try to put the ball in play. That's what we were taught. Were you taught that? I was. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's the way it used to be. And it's all different now with the, you know, you get your private hitting coaches. I, I always laugh at T.R. Sullivan. <laughs> T.R. will say it up in the press box and he'll say, you know, he goes, today's parents uh, Today's parents will spend so much money on stupid stuff. Uh, and and uh, about that with the travel ball and all of that. And, and I look, I would I would put – I have one boy that, that plays ball, and he, he quit playing baseball this year. He's a, he's a seventh grader. He's just sticking with football. That's what he likes to play. But, um, you know, travel ball is fine if your kid is really dedicated and wants to do it. it. It is a way to get out there and do it and play this. So you and I didn't have select ball. That wasn't around when we were kids. Um, so they, you know, I, I don't mind it, but my deal was you, you need to be practicing, doing all that. And if you don't want to, then don't just, just play rec ball, have fun. This is a fun game. I love playing this game and coaching it. So um, I, 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 you know, that, that was my take. So listen, I, I want to get into, you've had some hot opinions on Twitter and, uh, and we'll talk about this. You and I were talking about it on Twitter the other day. You were, we were kind of talking about it, but about the Astros and what's going on with the Astros scandal. Um, what, tell me your take altogether on that. First of all, starting off, just kind of give me a round about what you think about the whole thing. Oh, I think it's terrible. I think it's terrible for the game. It's a black eye, in my opinion, for major league baseball. Um, you know, when I came up, there was a phrase we used often: "If you if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying." Right. So everybody's trying to get an edge some way. Pitchers, you know, they scuff the ball, whatever. Right. Um, you tip your pitches. You know, I mean, look, you, if someone try, picks yeah, you, up on it, that's yeah. just fair game. It's you know, I I regard it as trade craft. Right. I know it's not. You know, I mean, this is we're going to try and get our advantage any way we can within the, within um, limits. Okay, 
Sure. Anything that happens on the field is fair game. You tip your pitches, we pick up your signs. Any, anything like that is fair game. Sure. Once we started allowing all this, I think really when we when they put instant replay in the game, that's when we started getting all this technology and stuff in the game. Right. And now these guys have iPads in the dugout. They got monitors. And it's like, okay, so this is a game where a phrase forever has been, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And now we just made it easier for everybody. And now, you know, we're expecting these guys to honor the unwritten rules of baseball when they've got a laptop or an iPad in the dugout that's real time. And I think that's pretty crazy for us to think that that this kind of stuff wasn't going to happen eventually. I'm sure it happened. I'm sure other teams were probably doing something similar, just haven't been caught, or maybe they were smarter at it. But um, I think the way the Astros did it and also being so smug about it and yeah. unapologetic just makes it worse and – I think that's part. Yeah. Of it. That's the big thing. Yeah, they've 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 kind of, you know, I want to see a little bit of contrition. Just just show me some 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 actual legitimate. Hey, you know what? I'm sorry. We look. I got caught up in it. Everyone was doing it. And how? You know what? You, I, I'm I'm not necessarily look. I'm not necessarily blaming when when someone comes to you and say, hey, look, when we can bang this trash can, this can happen. I mean, th- there's part of you going, man, this is crazy. We shouldn't. But then you're like. Well, I mean, you know, everyone's doing this. You're going to do it whether I say anything or not. I, I almost get it. But at the end, you're caught. Come out and go, you know what? It really was kind of crappy. I'm going to be real honest with you. I feel horrible that we did that. And, you know, and you're not hearing that. They're, they're more mad that, no. that Mike Fears came out and said something about it, you know, or, or whatever. And, yeah. and, and you and I on Twitter, we kind of went back and forth on it yesterday. You were a 290 career hitter. And I and basically, it, my question to you, now me, it's a different story, but I've said this, I'm 52 years old. I could hit a baseball when I was a kid. Growing up, I could hit in high school. I mean, I wasn't obviously good enough to go play college ball and go play anything like that. But if I would get in a batting cage at like D-bat or something and set it on 95, yeah, I'm not going to hit the first few balls. But after so many, I can start putting a barrel on a ball because I know what's coming right down the middle. You hit 290, mm-hmm. and if somebody tells you, What's going to be the pitch? And you're hit 290. You said I might have raised my two, you know, 30 to 40 points. You could have raised your career batting average. I mean, it's a major advantage, isn't it? No, I was actually being conservative when I said 30 to 40 points. I think it would be higher. It could be. I mean, look, you were a contact hitter who who did when you barreled it. You put a good shot on it. You were a line drive hitter. I'll never forget you. That's what you were. You hit solid line. You didn't. You know, look, you, you, everyone has C&I ground balls and all of that, but Jeff Fry would, would barrel a ball and straight line drive. You were a line drive hitter. You could hit gaps and all of that. Yeah, you weren't hitting 30 home runs a season. That wasn't your game. But you could put a barrel on it um, and, and put it out there. I, I'm telling you, you made contact. You knew how to put the barrel on it. You weren't lucky in all of your hits to be a 290 career hitter. I, I agree. You said 30 to 40. I thought, man, it could. I even said that myself. It might have been a little more. I mean, you could put a barrel on the ball. Um, but that's a major advantage. Yeah, most of the, most most of my strikeouts were on breaking pitches or off speed pitches. You know, I didn't strike out very much on fastballs. Yeah, not swinging hardly ever, and a few times maybe, you know, looking on a pitch that I thought you know might, they might paint one on a corner or something. Yeah, hit the cap, but not. I didn't strike swing through many fastballs. So if I would have known when a slider or a curveball or a changeup was coming and not offered at it, you know? Yep. I mean, I think I had over two, like 2,100 
at bats in my career and like 600 and some hits. So about 14 or 1500 outs I made. Right. You know, probably a thousand of those were off speed pitches. Yep. You know, just think if I'd have known that was coming. And, 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 I might not have got a hit, but I would have hit it. Right. Exactly. And, and, and it, it's, I, I, you can't understand how, and look, it, it, like you said, you're, if you're picking up a, a tip from a pitcher and you're on second base and you can tell your guys in the dugout, Hey, if I'm on second, I know this is happening. That, that's I, to me, I don't, I don't see any issue with that. You're going to help your team during a game. It, you're not out there with video camera, you know, radioing it in from your helmet. I mean, that's not the technology you're going, Hey, I can. I've, I've picked it up. I know what this pitch is, or whatever. To me, like you said, that's gamesmanship. That's part of the game. Don't tip your pitches. You know what? Change your signs up. That's how you work that. Um, yeah. It's just, just it's it's driven me crazy. I, if I, I would actually, if they would just come out, like I said, and just go, you know what? I, I got caught up in it. I, I apologize. It. I, I feel terrible about this. You know who the one that really did it the most was was actually uh, Hinch, and who got fired over it who did show a little contrition and said, you know, I didn't like it, but I didn't stop it though. You know, and I broke the TV a couple of times. I was pissed, but, but I didn't stop it. And this is acceptable. And I take it like a man and I didn't feel right about it. And, but the players kind of, it was disappointing because there's some great players on that team. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, what disappointed me was when I heard uh, the players say that if Hinch would have told them to stop, they would have stopped. <laughs> I mean, that's like throwing him under the bus, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. You know, it's like, you guys should know what the rules are. Yeah. There's unwritten rules in baseball, and if you play baseball, you know what those rules are. If a guy flips his bat and shows up the pitcher, back in my day, he's wearing one the next time. Absolutely. You know what? Or, or you know, and he's going to go to first base. Yep. And, you know, he knows what he did. Yep. If we, they hit one of our guys, um, we're going to hit one of your guys. Yeah. I mean, I'll never forget, I was, play, I was playing for the Red Sox, and we're playing the White Sox in Fenway, and I don't even know who was pitching for the White Sox, but they hit John Valentin in the wrist with a pitch. It was unintentional, but it broke his wrist, Yep. you know? And so, I mean, it's an eye for an eye, and uh, I went over to John Watts in the dugout. He hadn't been there very long, and I said, hey, you get two outs this inning? I said, you smoke the next dude. Yeah. And he goes, okay. So sure enough, he gets two outs. I mean, I didn't even know who was coming up for the White Sox. It wasn't like we were going to try and hit somebody in particular, but somebody was going down. Right. And so just so happens he gets two outs, and here comes Ron Tarkovice, the backup catcher. I mean, you couldn't find a nicer guy, you know. Right. It just so happens he was coming up at that time. I felt bad, but Watson hit him right in the ribs, and the ball just fell straight down. That's how square he hit him. And Karkovice just flipped his bat and went to first base. He yep. knew. Yep. He knew that, that they had that coming. Uh-huh. And th- there was no, you know, charging the mound or yelling or anything. He went to first base, and it was over with. Right. I went in the dugout, and I told John Watson, I said, you just gained every player on this team's respect by doing that. Yep. Yep. And then when they let us handle that stuff, it, it, it ended pretty quickly. But now something happens, and the first time somebody throws a pitch up and in, both benches are warned. Yep. You know, now now the whole complexion of the game changes. These guys can't pitch inside. I, I just wish it would go back to letting the players handle stuff on the field because I can tell you this, if Pedro Martinez was pitching and yep. he knew that they were hitting um, the trash can in the dugout and he threw a change up, 
the next pitch, somebody was getting bow tied. Yeah. There ain't no doubt about it. It may be at their head. <laughs> yeah, I remember he told Olmedo Signs we're in we're in Oakland. Olmedo Signs um, playing for the Red Sox. Lakefield pitching, I think, um, or maybe Chris Ham and some somebody who didn't throw real hard. And Olmedo Signs was an inside pitch and kind of stuck his knee in to get hit by it. Yeah, and Pedro's in the dugout. Goes okay. I got you. You want to get hit? I got you. Next day, first at bat, he put one right between his numbers. <laughs> hey, did you ever get thrown yep. out? Thrown out or thrown at? Thrown at. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, unfortunately, when, when one of our guys hit their guys, then they always wanted to hit the little guy. <laughs> so I, so I got thrown at a lot. But I was quick. I could get out of the way most times. I, I didn't. As a hitter, when you're coming up to the plate and you know we just hit one of their guys or whatever, there's something you can feel the tension. Yeah, you know what's going on in the game. So if I was coming up next, man, I knew that I was light on my feet. <laughs> I was trying to. I didn't want to get hit, <laughs> especially if it, you know it depends. If it normally they don't throw at you if it's a, a tight game or something like that. Sure. You know, put oh somebody yeah. On base. But. Oh yeah. And they're going to do it like you said in a two out situation where it's not going to hurt them to get a guy on base. Um, do you keep? Yeah. Up- I mean. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, no, I was going to tell you that uh, we were in uh, Camden Yards and Billy Hasselman was playing the Orioles under the Red Sox. Billy Hasselman hits a home run off Armando Benitez. And I'm coming up next, and the first pitch he throws over my head. <laughs> and he got ejected. You, you know, I, there, there's now, unless Billy Hasselman showed him up or anything to that effect, I, I have an issue with that. Look, it, you, if you gave up a bad pitch or if he got a hold of one of yours, there's no need to throw at the next guy's head. You know what? You take your medicine, you duck your head, and you're like, dadgummit, you know, I, I put it, that's a great swing, or I made a mistake, or whatever. Th- that one I have a little bit of an issue with. Now, if somebody's getting hit and you're going the other way, I get that. But uh, or, if, or if Hasselman stared it down, flipped his bat, did all of that stuff, that's a little different, too. Uh, but maybe you go after Hasselman, but I have a problem with throwing it. Yeah, hit Hasselman. Don't hit me. I didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do anything. Well, look, do, you know. <laughs> hey, do you keep up with the current Rangers? Oh yeah. So you still yeah. watch and watch what's going on in there. What do you think they've done to? The, what about this off season? What do you think about it? I like their pitching. I like their rotation. I mean, the rotation's pretty good. If these guys, if Kluber's healthy and you know can be even close to what he was before, I mean, it's a huge, huge yes. signing. I actually, I actually texted John Daniels and said, "Nice trade, dude." And he <laughs> said, "Thanks, buddy." No, I think it was, I think it's good and. Um, yeah, Lyles you know, and they Gibson were pretty are bad. Too. Pretty bad the last couple. They were pretty pretty bad the last couple of years. And going into a new stadium, I mean, we right. need a better product on the field. And I think uh, you know it starts with pitching. Yep. Yeah, and and you know, look, the the offense wasn't fantastic last year, but the offense wasn't the main problem last year. When you got after your first two starters, who were Minor and Lynn, and the the ERA of your after them in the starting rotation was seven point two two or something like that. That was. I mean, it's obvious what you need to address on that. And then you get Gallo coming back. I think everyone wants the big signing, uh, wants to see someone nice get here. But it doesn't necessarily always pan out. But it, there's patience. I, I still think they might make a move. If they don't, then, you know, probably at the trade deadline, if they're actually in it, um, I, it, it should be a better than 78-win team, which they were last year, um, especially with that rotation. And nobody in the West really made huge moves besides Rendon, but they still got to – get a pitching staff out there at, in, in Anaheim. Yeah, I think the Angels are going to be better. Um, yeah. Oakland somehow every year 
It's crazy. It doesn't seem like they do anything, but they just have some formula, man, that seems to work, and they just keep they just keep winning. So, well, they're we'll the yeah, they're the best at picking off the scrap heap and getting something out of it. I mean, they they, they are they are <laughs> they, they are, are the best at it. Um, I've got another uh, fan question, and this is it, uh, it pertains to you, especially being a second baseman most of your career. What can be done to fix Odor? Is there anything you see that he's doing that could be something he could work on? Uh, you know, I'm, you, I don't know if you ever thought of getting into coaching, but something you see or pick up and go, you know what, what he may need or something to that effect. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's had a couple years of you know really struggling. Um, but, you know, you, at the end of the year, you look at him, he's got 30-some homers and 90 RBI, so it's kind of hard to to say he needs an overhaul. But when he started going the other way and, yes. and you know, dropping the bunt down every now and then. Yes, you know, and, something and you would have done. keeping the infielders honest. Yeah, keeping the guys honest. Um, if they're giving you a free hit, take it every time. Yeah, and that's, that's you know? the next fan question. What do you think of the shift in today's game? I mean – what do you think? Oh of- man, I wish they would have shifted on me. Oh, I, oh. <laughs> that would have raised your average probably thirty points right there. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if they shifted on me, they'd have three guys. They'd have the shortstop up the middle, almost the second base. Right. Um, they'd probably move the third baseman over a little bit. They'd move the second baseman over, and the first, you know, they almost like a lefty pull hitter. That's because I hit the ball, you know quite frequently to right field so they would they would put on the reverse shift on me but i could roll over anything a nine yeah. hopper to shortstop with the best of them <laughs> you know I, you better throw it four foot outside otherwise i'm gonna hook that sucker because i would try to do that on on hit and run right on hit and run well you're trying to go the left side so, yeah yeah well why i was good at hit and run was before i went up i would watch the middle infielders and see who was covering the base who was um who was shifting over a little bit, shading one way or another. So when I came up, um, I knew where I was trying to hit the ball. Yeah. So if I'm a, if I get a hard throwing righty, you know, those mid nineties, whatever fastballs, um, odds are I'm probably going to hit it up the middle or to the right side. Yeah. So the shortstop would shade towards second, the second base would move a step closer to first. And I would just try and hook one to shortstop. Yeah. Because I know no, no, nobody would be there. I wish I had you know, that I could talent. Hit a 20 hopper that would barely make it through the infield and be a perfect hit and run. Yeah, that and, and like you said, I mean, it's stupid. I can't even imagine a rule to get rid of the shift. When I've heard that, it's been one of my biggest pet peeves, too. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, there's a way to fix that. Start going the other. Look what Gallo did. Gallo actually improved a lot. First of all, taking more pitches. The way, he was on, on pace to be an all-star. Um, and actually made all-star and just couldn't, you know, he got injured before that, but he had starting to open up a little bit, wasn't afraid to go the other way a little bit. He actually, um, you know, he, there was a couple of flares he hit down the left field line when they would all pull to the right. He tried bunting a couple times. I understand. Now that's one guy though. His, his game is a 500 foot home run, but man, it opens up more when you do have to keep them honest. And that's just that that's the gamesmanship. Um, you know, and I understand they're trying to get more fans into the game. I get that. The long ball's pretty. I'm a guy though that could sit and and just be enthralled with uh beer and popcorn and watch a one to nothing two hitter. That that just enthralls me. That's fun to watch for me. That's not fun for a lot of people. I get it. But uh man, the the game, the pure game is is the gamesmanship, you know, hit and run, button people over. That's fun to watch. 
Um, I've always said if I could go back in time, I would love to go back and watch, uh, you, you know, watch the, the turn of the century when, when it was all small ball and a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And, and go over to the Negro Leagues. I mean, those guys were, you talk about some talent over there. I mean, the, the, the museum president uh, follows me on Twitter. And I, those guys, I would have loved to have seen those guys play and the gamesmanship and the fun. Can you imagine? I mean, that was, that was some excitement. Yeah, you know, my most the World Series that was the most exciting of all the World Series that I remember um, was when the Royals played uh, the Cardinals on turf. Yes, you know, yep. both the Cardinals had you know Vince Coleman, Willie McGee, Ozzie Smith, and the Royals had George Brett and Willie Wilson and all these fast guys and yep, you know Hal McRae and and uh, oh yeah, uh, you know it was so exciting because. It was small ball, you know, throwing bases, hitting and running, taking the extra base, and it was just so exciting. Not this, you know. Are we just old? Is that seventeen the- strikeout? <laughs> you know, wait for the three run homer. And- yep. I think we're just what is it old? We're just sitting around in our in our rocking chairs and talk about the good old days. So hey, let me ask, so you grew so you grew up in the the Bay Area before you came to Oklahoma. So uh, you uh, you. We were talking about maybe doing this tomorrow. You're a 49er fan, so it's a huge day for you tomorrow. So were you growing up, were you a, a San Francisco Giants fan? Is that who you watched when you were a yes. kid? Yes. Well, uh, when I grew up, I was brainwashed as a child by my uncle, who was my he was the big sports guy in our family. And right. I had to like the Giants and the 49ers. And our only basketball team was the Warriors, which right. weren't very good back then. Yeah, they and were. I had to hate the Raiders and hate the A's. <laughs> so I didn't have a choice. Okay, listen, we're winding this thing down, but these last two questions are always something I get when anyone gets on here, and then we're going to get you to do a little plug for the show. But um, I, I call it the home run game. So you look, you hit what twenty seven, twenty eight home runs in the big leagues. You've hit no. Like, how many did you hit? No, thanks, but I think I only hit like sixteen or so. I think sixteen. Okay, so you hit. So, You've hit home runs. You hit home runs. Those balls are expensive, man. I don't want to lose those balls. The team has to pay for those balls, you know? Well, this, 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 I'm interested to hear yours because you were sort of like me. And look, as a guy who hit one home run my entire life over a fence was my junior year of high school. So I'll always remember it. Remember when I hit it and where it went and all of that. Do you remember, I call this the home run game. Do you remember the first home run you ever hit over a fence? How old were you? Do you remember it? Twelve. You were twelve. Okay. So, 12, where were you at? In California, I guess? Yep, I was in Hayward, California, playing uh, Little League Baseball. Um, hit it to the left center. I'm pretty sure, as soon as I hit it, um, that it was over the fence. You know, the fence is Little League, and you're 12 or about 200 feet. So Right. And you just barreled it, and it was over quick and all of that. Okay, so here's my – you know, you ought to go back. I'll tell you some of the other guys. Gallows played this game with me and, and uh, Elvis and all that. From that day till the end of your career, whether it was college or whatever, what's the one home run that you remember that the moment you hit it, you were like, holy crap, I just that's I just got it. I mean, Gallows was in high school, but, I mean, do you remember one in particular you were like, whoa, I mean, I just barreled and smoked that one. Well, you know, it happens so frequently, it's kind of hard to, <laughs> you know, like, how can Joey Gallo remember? He, he's probably hit 500 home runs in his whole, whole life. You I'll know? tell you that in a yeah, second, I, but I want to hear yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember uh, it was in uh, Milwaukee County Stadium. It was off Cal Eldred. And I really, for some reason, man, I killed that guy. And, and 
I hit a home run that I just absolutely crushed to left field that was, you know, for me, a bomb is, you know, 10 rows deep, but this sucker was like 20 rows deep. And as soon as I hit it, I knew it was a home run. You knew it. It was, it was a barrel. Did it go 400, you think? What do you mean 400? It's like probably 430. <laughs> 400 is a fence. It's like 380. <laughs> so, well, you so, know what? You know what's funny? <laughs> what's funny is, uh, like, when I first came up, I mean, if I hit a home run in batting practice, I was pretty stoked. Yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> now you see these guys every other swing home run. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know the, the ball's gallop- not juice though, right? Yeah, but but, but you're, you're going to understand why Gallo said the one that he said because Gallo told me of all the years, you know, he, he remembered his first one was eight or nine years old, like, like you know, you said you were 12. I never hit one when I was that small. Um, but uh, he said, I said, the one you hit, he goes, I was in high school. And he goes, and he started talking about we got to play with these bats that didn't have any restrictions on them. So he's talking about bats like you and I played with when we were in high school. Yeah, right? black magic. <laughs> yes. And so they were like, you know, you're, you're talking a drop 12 or 15 or whatever when we were in high school. And he got they got to play with these bats. And you know how big he is. They were playing at UNLV. And he had a like a 3-1 count on a guy. And the bases were loaded. And he said, I was swinging from my heels. The guy threw a fastball. And he goes, man, I barreled that thing up. It went over center field, over these trees. He goes, it had to go 530 feet, something like that. Wow. And, he goes, and he goes, I'll never, <laughs> ever. For, and, and I was thinking, well, yeah, using those bats that, that, well, and now Jeff and I used to use. Yes, that's the only reason I ever hit a home run is because I barreled up a fastball with one of those bats that weighed 25 ounces or whatever that we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so anyway, that's always funny to, to hear those. So in Milwaukee County Stadium, you, you hit one about 430 feet with a wooden bat. That's, hey, man, you, next time I see you, you're going to have to muscle up for me. That's some muscle there. Well, so, I was on the juice back then, you know, so <laughs> – <laughs> Gatorade, you were a little concoction of yeah. Gatorade and orange juice I was taking there and getting juiced up. Okay, last question. What's the one thing that nobody knows about you? And I'll give you an example. I asked this, Brock Burks on the Rangers now. Um, he's had the most interesting one. It ended up being a big story for Levi Weaver um, that, because I turned him onto it in the press box and he made a big story out of it. I asked Brock Burke this question. We were doing an interview and I said, What's one thing nobody knows about you? And he goes, um, I walk in my sleep. Um, and so kind of told some funny stories about that. What's one thing nobody knows about Jeff Fry? Man, that's tough. <laughs> that you muscled a ball 430 feet? I was a lot taller on TV than I am in real life. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> no I, you know. You're a 300 bowler or something? Or <laughs> I'm a pretty good bowler, dude. Are I'm, you I'm really? good at, the funny thing is, is like, um, this is not, I'm not bragging, but I'm pretty good at most things. I'm yeah. really good at cornhole. I'm really good at pool. I'm pretty good bowler. I still play basketball three or four times a week with the guys half my age can outshoot every one of them. Um, just growing up, that's all I did. I didn't sit in front of a TV and play video games. If I wasn't, if I was awake, I was playing some type of sport. Oh, yeah. That's what we baseball, did. football, basketball. You know, I, you know, basketball really is my first love. Yeah, that's that's what I, you went I, to college on, right? Yep, I went to. You know, the funny thing, I've told this story before. I won't drag this on, but when no, I was no, in worry. grade, I, I went out for basketball, and when I was at, in uh, California, Bishop O'Dowd, out for basketball, and I was about five foot tall, 
And this is a really good Catholic school, great basketball program. And um, my high school basketball coach was also the baseball coach. Mike Phelps told me to come back when I grew up. <laughs> and I got that. And so I started practicing more and more and more on basketball. Um, my junior year, I moved to Oklahoma, to Panama, Oklahoma, um, played basketball, did well, averaged almost 18 points for the three-point line. Next year, my senior year, 23 and a half points. Go to college on a basketball scholarship. You know, end up not playing basketball. Uh, played, made it through the first scrimmage. and was like, man, I don't think this is going to work out. I need to start focusing on baseball. Yeah. Make it to the big two. We're in Oakland playing against the A's. I'm facing Dennis Eckersley in the ninth inning. I uh, get the game-winning hit, knock in the game-winning hit. Um, and after the game, I called a reporter over and I said, hey, I want you to do me a favor. I said, I want you to tell Mike Phelps of Chippewa Dowd High School that Jeff Fry is back and he's grown up now. <laughs> it was in the paper, the Oakland Chronicle the next day. That's awesome. That's the greatest way to, 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 to get back. Just fun. And that's how Michael, what Michael Jordan, the one that got cut from his freshman team came back and, uh, and, uh, became the, the star that he was after that. Hey, this has been great. Jim, we're going to do this again for sure. We'll get you on here and we'll, during the season, we'll do it a few times and come on. This is a lot of fun. We'll break down some stuff and do it. I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I got all kinds of stories. Oh. We'll keep it, keep it PG 13. Rated, but yeah, I've got lots of good stories. Jeff, that's Jeff Fry, former Texas Ranger, former Toronto Blue Jay, former Colorado Rocky, former Boston Red Sox. Jeff, I appreciate it. We'll see you out there. Um, uh, probably see you at the yard maybe a couple times, and if nothing else, we'll get together. I'll text you, and we'll we'll have to get a game of pool or some cornhole going, something like that. Okay, I I, I like to gamble, so okay, that's all right. We can throw a couple. Only when I have control over it. <laughs> <laughs> That Jeff, sounds good, man. Appreciate you having me on here. You got it, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Jeff Fry, everybody. Okay, guys, that was Jeff Fry. That was fantastic. Uh, man, I, I that was just a great time. I want to thank everybody that's listened to this one. Thank everybody that, that that listens to it. Go down there and like it. Follow us at Ranger Nation Pod, at Ranger Nation Pod. Jeff, will, we'll get him back on. It was fun to talk to him. Guys, my age, Jeff Fry was a, a name we all knew when he came up with the Rangers. For us smaller guys, uh, he was uh, – Jose Altuve before uh, Altuve came. Altuve's small compared to Jeff, though. I mean, he's a little guy. But uh, in all seriousness, thank you. Thank everyone that's listening. Like I say at the end of every episode, I have everything I ever write. Nerd out. Out. <laughs>